is The Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 178, operating on April 21st, 2023. This is Drew, an airline ops manager, and I'm here with my buddy Doug, an airline pilot. We're here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective. Doug, you're back from your meetup at with uh, our buddies at Non-Rev Lounge at Dallas and back to hitting the books and simulators for the KC-46 tanker in Wichita. I'm referring to this military 767 as the 767 MAX 200 because the way you described it, it sounds like, you know, all the like toys that, you know, we have on the 737 MAX. So <laughs> is there any <laughs> is there any validity to that? Yes, there definitely is. It's the same engine that was offered to civilian variants. So it's not... Uh, the Max is like a, a big engine upgrade from the next gen 737, but the flight deck is a lot different as well. It has the the bigger screens, kind of like the 787. So yeah, I would I would call this a 767 Max 200 because it really is the only thing that makes it a 767 200 is the body. Uh-huh. Beyond that, it's right. a, it is a brand new airplane. And I, we, we have to do some research on this, but I was messaging with Joe, one of our listeners, also flies for our mm-hmm. airline. He was telling me that he thinks, and we need to look this up, but he thinks that FedEx's 767s that they ordered have the same flight deck mm-hmm. as the KC-46. That, that, that yeah, Boeing, the Boeing because they upgraded the 767 for the KC-46, that they also offered that mm-hmm. avionics upgrade and the screen upgrade. To FedEx, so we have to look. Right. We have to look into that. Yeah, we do. And then uh, going through the manuals, you noticed uh, one of our words of the week, "pack," which is uh, I always understood that was an airline term, but you saw it in your manual. So what what did you say? You said they probably just cut and paste it from a regular seven sixty seven manual. Yeah, basically the the manual that we have is laid out so totally different than any other manual that I've had flying the Air Force because they're they're trying mm-hmm. to go to this Air Force, or not Air Force, this airline style of manuals, which it honestly is a lot better than the way the KC-10 manuals were. So it's it's taking some of the people in my class who are not airline pilots a little bit more time to wrap their head around it. But for those of us who are airline pilots and have learned how to read these manuals and, and a different style than the Air Force does, it's a little bit easier yeah. for us. But I found PAC. I found the uppercase right. bold P-A-C-K because it's an acronym. Mm-hmm. It's not just talking about the air conditioning packs and new listeners or, or people who forgot. We talked about this a couple episodes ago, but the first time I actually saw it, and what is that? the first time I saw it, what, what does it stand for? Pneumatic air conditioning kit yeah. pack. Actually, the first time I saw it was on my test, it was on mm-hmm. my systems test was the first That's time crazy. that I saw it in the uppercase in as as an acronym as opposed to the lowercase. Well, that's good because a lot of a lot of you guys are going to the airlines and then coming back to learn this. So you'll feel more at home because some of the terms might be yeah, the same. It's, it's definitely making the transition easier because I, I know how to train on a commercial type airplane, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, one more question on the KC-46. Closer to a 777 or a 787 I, as far as the flight Well, plane. I've only been on the 78 flight deck once. I, I've never flown the airplane. From what I've seen, I would say it's a hybrid of the two. The avionics definitely are more like a 787 from talking to my friends mm-hmm. who fly it. 
the the way the screens are laid out, the way that you interface with the screens is totally different than the than the triple. My understanding is it's identical to to the way you interface with the screens on the seven eight, but the overhead panel mm-hmm. is almost identical to the triple as opposed to the seven eight. So it's a, it's a blend of the two, I would say. You know, you've been dreading. I don't want to say. You know, you it seems seems like you're constantly in training, whether it's for the seven thirty seven, triple seven, KC ten recurrent. Now it's KC forty six, but. I think you're someone who's always in that mode because you had a full day of class yesterday. And then the last I spoke to you, you were just about to go to bed after studying yeah. for the next four or five hours. after. Yeah, class. I think I mentioned this before that I went 10, 11 years, to, I guess it was 10 years on one airplane on the KC-10. And then in the last two years, this is now my third new airplane that I'm learning. I was on the mm-hmm. 7-3, I'm on the triple, now I'm learning the KC-46. Yeah. I think I've told you this is the last time that I'm doing this for a very long time. I'm going to stay on the triple for a very long time and knock on wood. I never have to learn another Air Force airplane. I was dreading it mo- mostly because of my prior experiences in Air Force training programs and comparing it in my mind to the way that the airlines do training, which used to be two totally different things. But because this is an off the shelf 767-200, and the, the publications are written by Boeing, and the Air Force is adopting that airline-style training, that was the part that I was dreading. But it's actually mm-hmm. just like my 777 course, just like my 737 course. So it really is not as bad as what I was expecting it to be. Wait, so are, you saying, are you saying it's a lot different from the KC-10 much training? Way, more, way like different. An airline-type airline type training, which has made it a lot easier because that's that's what I've that's been good. used to. Now, mm-hmm. what I learned, again, because this is my third training course in less than two years, third new airplane, I've learned that if I front-load the studying, if I just, the first like two or three weeks, don't get a lot of sleep, study everything, learn as much as I can, memorize as much as I can, and just front load that, that the whole back half yeah. of the program is a lot easier. And I, I tend to learn a lot more because I'm, I'm ahead of pace, if that makes sense, ahead of where I'm supposed to uh-huh. be yeah, on each sim. So that's, that's mm-hmm. part of the reason why, even after these long days, I go back to the room and I continue to study because I've, I've just learned that that sets me up for success later on down the road. How was Chicago? I'm, I'm, I, I guess I was gone last weekend, but I'm ultimately stuck in a hotel room in Wichita for the foreseeable future. So I get to live vicariously yeah. through you and all the other our other friends who are traveling. <laughs> right, I got a few business trips. So I went to Chicago for for a night to um, help them with some tool that they're creating for our department and for airport ops that helps us track our flights. And what's cool about this is this is going to come from us and not be sent down to us from what some corporate uh, training program or some graduate from Yale thought that we needed. (laughs) And they literally said that this, we are going to tell them what we need instead of them telling us, no, this is why, you know, and we have one of these programs where it has a lot of information, but if I want to check FLIFO, FLIFO is uh, flight is short for flight information. There's not a fast way to check it. So there's all this wealth of information. And if I want to find out, all right, the flight uh, flight 211 from San Francisco to uh, DC, I just want to know about that flight. What time did it take off? What gate? You have to like fish around for that information where 
in our old computer that you had to crank up with the blue and red keys that was the <laughs> used to be called Apollo, yeah. then it was uh, Fast Air or something. You could just type two and the flight number, boom, all your information is there. So I keep asking them, can you just give us a FIFO window? I'm still waiting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this, I mean, this is just one example of how it should come from the people who use it. And we can tell them what we need. This new, this updated system should be a lot better. So I took two of my coworkers to Chicago and I have club membership. So I had them meet me at the airport early and we went to the club, talked about work. We prepped for the meeting, got to Chicago early and we had more time to prep and have something to eat. We went to the meeting. After the meeting, they were heading home back to DC. I stayed that night. So we went to the club again so that we could hang out there and discuss what we just talked about. And I'm just, I'm telling you, so these club memberships are 500 to $600. Just that day was three visits of food, free Wi-Fi, peace and quiet, meeting space, blah, blah, blah. It, it is just invaluable, you know, how much, how much mm-hmm. you get. It's a really good value if you fly a lot. And the two that went, one of them was like, I'm getting this club membership. I'm like, well, hold on now. One of them hardly ever travels. So I'm like, you might want to reconsider. It was a lot of fun. And then next week I'll be going to... Las Vegas. It's like my boss is like, hey, are you are you able to go to Las Vegas and represent the station? And then I'm like, let me check my schedule, knowing full well. (laughs) Yeah, I think it go. I'll let you know. I went to Vegas. It is still work. So it's not like it's a vacation. So I'm going to go there and it's going to be very busy on one of the meetings that I'm going to the next couple of weeks. You know, I asked if they wanted me to prep anything and (laughs) the director at the NOC was like, no, just come and have a good time. And they said that last year. And then two days prior, can you just prepare like a uh, 10 page (laughs) summary? (laughs) So what I'm going to do there, and I'm not even joking, I'm going to have a USB with that in case last minute they're like, hey, tell us what your plans are. Yeah. And then you can update last year's slides. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You've already done done the legwork. Yeah, exactly. And then today, which is my day off, I've already told you I'm going in because we have our first thunder, major thunderstorm event. So I'll be going in to help with that. I want to give a shout out to Ryan, who's a new Mav geek uh, at work. And I told him, you know, when my boss calls during these air ops, I got to give him, he wants an operational update. And that's a loaded question because <laughs> there's a lot of things going on. And I tell him, you know, I really got to like think, okay, what do I want to tell him? Because there's 2 million things going on. And he said, and you're going to have to edit this out. <laughs> he said, no, just, just say it's between <laughs> and <laughs> And yeah, Doug's hopefully bleep that out. But what I was saying was two D- disasters. disasters. Yeah, two bad disasters. <laughs> <Where> one, is, <laughs> one is not as bad as the last one. And that's explaining how the operation is. No, I'm like, I, no, I can't tell my boss. It's one disaster versus another. <laughs> All right, Doug, let's definitely move on. Let's get started with our aviation word of the week. This week, it's our aviation phrase of the week because this one was too good to pass up. SpaceX launched Starship, the most powerful rocket ever this Thursday. The Starship will eventually carry astronauts to the moon. This rocket flew for close to four minutes and successfully separated from a super heavy booster before suffering what SpaceX called a rapid, unscheduled <laughs> disassembly. 
Doug, what is a rapid unscheduled disassembly or a RUD? <laughs> In technical terms, it means rocket go kaboom. <laughs> Seriously. Well, I saw no, I saw the Chiron and it said unscheduled assembly. I'm like, um, that sounds bad. Yeah. <laughs> and then I thought it Well, no, seriously, this phrase is used in engineering to describe the breakup of a vehicle, usually an aircraft or a rocket. In this case, SpaceX's failure is not as bad as it sounds. In fact, it's all part of the process of perfecting a rocket. Let's look at what Starship is. It's a super heavy lift launch vehicle under development by SpaceX in coordination with NASA. At 390 feet in height and with a liftoff mass of 11 million pounds, mm-hmm. Starship is the largest and most powerful launch vehicle ever flown. And Can the I first stop intended, you right there? Yeah. 11 million pounds, Doug. The maximum takeoff weight of a 747-8 is close to a million pounds. It's 975,000. Yeah. So this is like 11 747-8s. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't know if you saw the video of the launch. It has, I think it's 30 engines, 30 main engines yeah. on the initial booster. Right. And there were there were like five or six that were not functioning properly. That had nothing yeah. to do with the rapid unscheduled disassembly <laughs> but it's it's just crazy like how how much power this thing has and it was yeah. it was fascinating to watch but this is it's intended to be fully reusable kind of like the space shuttle was but the space shuttle the main i don't remember what it was called you had the solid rocket boosters which fell to right. the ocean those were reusable yeah. that the space shuttle was the first reusable rocket piece uh, aside from like the the crew like on Apollo, the uh, the only thing they were able to reuse was the reentry vehicle. Right. This almost everything is intended to be reused, which, which is fascinating. A- anyways, <laughs> SpaceX plans for Starship to eventually become its primary launch vehicle, superseding the existing fleet of Falcon Nine and Falcon Heavy launch vehicles, as well as the Crew Dragon spacecraft. Planned flights include the build-out of SpaceX's Starlink Internet Constellation, crewed flights under the Polaris and Dear Moon programs, and a crewed lunar landing with a modified Starship spacecraft under the Artemis program. Pretty fascinating to see. And I know we're joking about this RUD, but Elon, Elon Musk over the weekend was answering some reporters' questions, and they were asking him what what would be considered a failure. And, uh, of course, like, a rocket having an RUD technically Mm -hmm. is a failure, but the farther down the road that that failure occurs, the more of a success this test becomes because you can get all those data points before the rapid unscheduled disassembly. He said that his biggest fear was getting it off the the launch pad because if it had blown up on the launch pad, they would Mm -hmm. have had to reconstruct the entire launch pad, which would have set the program back months This RUD happened out over the Gulf of Mexico. It did not hurt anyone. It did not impact anything. And they were able to get four minutes of data and all these other tests done before it had its rapid unscheduled disassembly. Yeah, I think, I mean, just getting an 11 million pound object off the ground, I think that in itself is a success. So we'll watch this program, but uh, it's amazing. I mean, if you haven't seen videos of how this rocket lands, it's amazing how precise it is. You know, it's like a Tesla that can self-park, basically, right, on a bigger scale. Yeah. All right, well, so this is, this is definitely a situation where failure is an option because we learn from the failures. Calling the explosion a rapid unscheduled assembly, or an RUD, is a good way of describing it without giving it a negative connotation. 
what else can we describe in a non-judgmental way, Doug? <laughs> <laughs> here, here are some examples of fire. You could call it an uncontrolled thermal event. <laughs> Bursting is an unplanned loss of containment. <laughs> I can't even read these with this. It's like, is that bad or good? <laughs> a crash. It's like it wanted it. <laughs> a crash is a deconstructive deceleration. <laughs> No, but there, but wait, there's more. I mean, we have our own, right? And I, I found some of these, so feel free to add any. <laughs> but, so in the airlines, we have, instead of the flight is overbooked and you may not get on, we say, I'm sorry, we're in an oversale situation. <laughs> not as bad, right? It's very clinical. Instead of saying, we don't know when you'll get to, you to New York, which we might be saying tonight, we say, we're on a ground stop with a fourteen hundred with a two p.m. update. <laughs> we're not going anywhere. You have no we idea. We're not going yeah. <laughs> At two o'clock, we may still not know. All right. Instead of saying this plane is not going anywhere for a long time, maintenance will tell us the aircraft is on a parts plus twelve. <laughs> they don't even know where the parts are. <laughs> and even when you get the part, it might be twelve hours. <laughs> we have all the time. It's like, all right, tow another plane to the gate and take this one away and make it a restaurant. Or something because we don't even have the parts and when we get the parts we know. <laughs> instead of saying we're on the wrong runway we say we had a runway incursion mm-hmm. that's almost polite it's like oh i'm sorry did i you know <laughs> cut in line <laughs> and then the toilet water that you see that we put on the aircraft that's not toilet water we call it blue juice that's blue much juice. more yeah. acceptable um, and then you, you, this is probably something that you said why don't you read the next one yeah uh, instead of saying we're <laughs> delayed say we're waiting on some paperwork or <laughs> we'll, we'll say we're, we're waiting on, we're waiting on our final numbers. Right. Which I know you guys make up cause it could be anything. It could be <laughs> a reroute. It could be a weight and balance issue. It could be the first officer got there laid off a connection and is still doing the walk around, but you don't want to say that they got there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, a lot of maintenance actions that we might need to do at the gate, we're, we're not going to tell the passenger, oh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, one of our pressurization systems is inoperative. We're, we're just going right. to say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> from the flight deck, we apologize for the uh, for the delay. We're just working a couple maintenance actions here. Uh, we, we should be getting uh, signed off uh, re- relatively soon and, and underway. Something along yeah. those along you those lines. You, yeah, you, you don't have to tell them exactly what's going on. Right. And instead of saying there's a problem with one of the engine, with the engine generator, you could say, we have a status message. That's, yeah. always, <laughs> you know, that's not yeah. alarming, right? Status no. message, we get that on our car. Yeah. All right, Doug, let's head back down to Earth from the stratosphere, which the stratosphere, Doug, at 24 miles up is as far as the Starship made it on this launch. Let's go back down to the troposphere, which is 0 to 11 miles up where our planes fly. In the news this week, Southwest had some IT issues and requested that the FAA initiate a ground stop early Tuesday morning due to quote-unquote equipment issues. The ground stop was lifted at 11.35 in the morning when operations resumed. A Southwest spokesman said early this morning a vendor-supplied firewall went down and connection to some operational data was unexpected lost. Doug, this problem doesn't seem to be related related to the IT issue a few months ago when the airline was forced to cancel more than 16,700 flights or about half of its schedule due to a crew system issue. Southwest called the latest problem intermittent technology issues. We have these at our airline. I mean, with yeah. all this technology, 
we from time to time one of our systems just stops and then mm-hmm. the plans just stop until we can figure it out yeah this happens all the time and a lot of our systems have redundancy like for for us in the flight deck i can get my flight plans one of multiple ways there's a standard way that we get it and if that system goes down there backup ways or like our navigational pubs we, we use jepson it's a boeing mm-hmm. product if that goes down we have backup navigational pubs on a different server from a totally different company. So we, we have all these redundancies in place. This happens, like you said, this happens all the time. It's happened to our airline. It's happened to everyone. Mm-hmm. everyone. I think that right now, aviation, especially Southwest after their Christmas meltdown, is still so much in the public eye and the eye of the media Right. Any little thing like this that wouldn't have right. made news a year ago or two years ago, or it would have made news, but it would have just been a segment D like, oh, by the way, Southwest had this and then you move on. But because yeah. of the issues that the industry and especially Southwest had, this then becomes bigger news than it really needs to be. Well, yeah, I, I can't remember the ex- what the exact issue was. Yeah. Oh, it was one of our express carriers has had an IT failure, which lasted a couple hours. It was never in the news because it wasn't huge it was just a small portion of our operation but it could have been in the news if that's something that that airline continuously had because they can connect it to ongoing issues larger yeah to a larger problem the faa initiated a ground stop but this was at the request of southwest and we have had that our airline has had that when we have gridlock at a certain hub at any hub or at any of our stations sometimes we'll do an what's called an internal ground stop we'll ask the faa put in a ground stop but it'll be just for our airline. That actually just, just for Delta. That just happened yeah. in Newark last weekend. Yeah. Or it could be just for Delta in Atlanta or just for American in Dallas for whatever issue they're having. And all the other airlines can proceed normally. Mm-hmm. We had this years ago when our fuel system went down and nothing was leaving. And the next wave of flights or the next bank of flights was starting to leave to come to DC. So talking to the NOC director, I asked for a two hour pause just so we could get the first bank out and have gates for these next arrivals because everything comes in, just stay, stay in Richmond, stay in Chicago, stay in New York for an hour so that when you fly to DC, there'll be a gate for you. These internal ground stops happen, happen a lot. And the FAA will list them just like they list all the other ground stops, but it will say specific to which carrier. Yeah. I I know that the passengers who were flying that day were probably frustrated, but ultimately I think this is actually really smart. It, It, Southwest said that it was due to a firewall in some system they were using. They, by calling for the ground stop, they basically built their own firewall to make sure yeah. that that those problems didn't persist into the rest of the day, into the rest of the week, etc. Like you were talking about the ground stop and DC with the fuel issue, you created a firewall to break it from spreading to the larger system in a way. Right. It, it's like, hey, we're we're gonna we're gonna take a hit here with these several hundred flights right now to mm-hmm. be able to keep the integrity of the rest of the schedule going later in the day by by right. building that break. And it's unfortunate for those however many flights get affected. But if you yeah. don't do that, then the snowball starts to roll and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. At some right. point you just need to do a clean break and say, Here's the line, everything on this side of the line, canceled, done, we're going to reset to be able to save the larger portion farther on down the road. Yeah, and I'll, I think I've talked about that in this episode. When we have a huge weather event or a thunderstorm or <clears throat> even an IT issue, whatever it is, 
we will just stop the operation just to get everything organized so that the next day or then even the next bank, we can start fresh and have a reset. And it, Doug, it works a lot better because we have time to just stop and see what our risks are, which flights we want to focus on. Yeah. And I don't want to say start from scratch, but have a reset. Drew, after the rocket explosion and the IT-related ground stop at Southwest, let's move to a good news technology story. But is it really good, Drew? Or listeners, let's see. Alaska Airlines and Conde Nast Traveler reported that Alaska is getting rid of their airport kiosks. I love how you wrote this. These are these R2-D2 looking machines. That's what it reminds me. It is, it, the, with the rounded top. Yeah, it's yeah. the R2, R2-D2 looking machines at ticket counter where you check in, print your boarding passes, bag tags, etc., which allows you to choose seats and so on. Alaska was the first to introduce kiosks 20 years ago. And now they're going to be the first to remove them. I, I didn't realize they were the first to introduce. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you. And I I remember this. I remember they were talking about this. And I, I think I was working for uh, America West in Oakland. or, And they're like, Alaska is just going to not have any lines at the ticket counter. They're just going to have these kiosks. And we thought it was the most ridiculous thing mm-hmm. because we're so ingrained back then to coming to the airport and standing in line. That's just the way things work. And Alaska was trying to shake it up. I didn't think it would work. Everyone thought it was ridiculous and it would be a fad. And, it, you know, because all these people coming to the airport, where do they go? Aren't they supposed to line up in some stanchions? That's the way it works, right? Yeah. Alaska was a trailblazer. Oh, oh, yeah. If I walk in if and I need some sort of assistance and I haven't been able to do everything on the app, the kiosk is mm-hmm. awesome. The, the kiosk is a very easy, user-friendly way to take care of it. But Charu Jain, who's Alaska's vice president, said, quote, we realized the majority of our guests were doing most of the kiosk actions on their own phones. We could reduce the congestion in our airports, unquote. About 75% of passengers already have their boarding pass when they arrive at the airport. Alaska said that they'll spend $2.5 billion on improvements, which include rolling out new bag tag stations, an iPad where guests can scan their boarding pass and print luggage tags, and more automatic baggage drops. Alaska said it says its goal is to get passengers through the check-in process and into the security line in five minutes or less. That's fantastic. And I, mm-hmm. I know our airline is already starting to do it where if you pay for your bag or, or you select your bag online before you get to the airport, it right. tells you what what desk to go to and it's color coded or number coded. Right. You literally just show up. My, my mom has done this a few times. Literally mm-hmm. just show up at the number they tell you to go to and they've already assigned a number based on what flight you're going to, where it's going. Oh, awesome. And it, it takes like two minutes. You you just walk in, get your bag tagged, and off you go. Super easy. Yeah. And that's that's where IT is making the travel experience actually really good. I know people are... Well, can, you're talking about your mom, right? Our parents yeah. are pretty close in age. Yeah. And my mom doesn't go to the counter. Now, I showed her how to use the app and check in, but she's like, can you just send me the boarding pass? Because I'm following her flight very closely anyway. So I just sent her a screenshot of her uh, QR code. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't need to stop at any counter and she does yeah. the bag drop and she's it's off to it's uh, awesome. the gates. Yeah. And if, if older travelers, uh, granted our parents are very savvy with travel, but if, if they're yeah. able to figure it out, that's really good. And, and there's still, it's not like the counter is going away completely. If you really don't know what you're doing and you need help, there's still going to be one or two people at the counter who can help. Yeah. Anyways, this automatic baggage drop points, passengers will scan their luggage tags, boarding passes and IDs, and then load their bags on the conveyor belt. Super easy. The airline will begin launching the bag drop points in the spring of 2024, 
And they will, thank goodness, as I just said, still have customer service agents at the counter. So this was the one piece I didn't understand how they would do. So you can print your tag. Yeah. That's fine, right? But anyone can print it. Anyone with your record locator or a QR code that they found could print a tag. But before you actually send your bag, you have to verify your ID. So now they have a, they'll scan their ID. Normally an agent would do that. And I guess the bag drop has a... Well, and if they're using iPads, I know Delta is using uh, some, I, I don't know if it's iPads or what it is, and other airlines are starting to do this too, where it's the biometric technology, where mm. there's a, a, basically a facial recognition. It Look in the screen and you see all these blue dots pop up in your face and it's reading all your facial features and it's comparing it to like a passport photo or a photo in the system and it's yeah. able to confirm that it's you. I know there are a lot of yeah. people who think it's Big Brother and, and they don't like that, but that's ultimately that's where we're going from a technology standpoint is well and also fewer, look at fewer it, touch points throughout the travel experience right well also look at it you don't have to wait for an agent you can just scan your own id and send your bag on its way mm-hmm. and as far as customer service that now frees up the agents to solve significant problems not to do something clerical yeah you know like checking your bag yeah well and i i know that questions might come up from some of the listeners and and travelers what if I have a special circumstance? For instance, me, I get free mm-hmm. bags as a military person, as a right. someone in the military. And if I select military bags, they have to verify my military ID. So when I do that, when I've been at kiosks before, a little light just starts flashing and there's a, a rotating or a, a roaming CS agent. They'll see the kiosk flashing and they'll come over, see it's a military bag and they'll just look at my ID enter some code and off they go. It's super easy. Most people are not going to have special circumstances like that, but they make it easy for the people who do. It's not like I have to wait a really long time in line just because I'm checking a military bag. You know, we were naysayers 20 years ago, or I was a naysayer, but it actually worked. And Doug, before that, I'm trying to think when uh, we came up with e-tickets, I think it was around that time. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing where we're like, no, that's never going to work. People just walk up and they tell you that they have a reservation and they don't have a paper ticket. Now that's never going to work. Yeah. But well, and that, uh, along those lines, I also remember when printed home boarding passes first came out, I, I was like, I don't know if I trust this. <laughs> and then boarding pass on your app came out and uh-huh. I was like, I don't know if I trust this. So I've still printed <laughs> at home just as a backup. Yeah. Now I, I haven't had a paper boarding pass in years because it's just, yeah. it's so easy to just do it on, on your phone. And, and I'm a I'm a millennial who is technology driven. I've grown up right, with technology, and, still... and, and even me, I I kind of am like, ooh, well, hold on, Let, let's let's let them get the, the situation figured out before I go all in on this. Yeah, but then you lose that nostalgia because you know when you travel, you want to have something to remember that flight by. So when I flew American in first class to London, I was like, I need to memorialize this. And I had to ask the agent, um, can you, would you mind printing? My, my yeah. Well, here, here's my Still way around that. I, I always screenshot my boarding pass and then I just mm. throw it in a folder on OneDrive or wherever. That way I, I always have a record of, Hey, here's, here's my boarding pass. Uh, that's fine. Yeah. I, I know, I know we have uh, another couple stories to get to, but something I forgot mm-hmm. in the opening, we're talking about technology and IT Travel hack mm-hmm. for all of our listeners. Marissa called me last night after I'd already been asleep for like an hour or two hours. She's in San Jose with the kids for a dance competition, staying at a hotel. Realized mm-hmm. that she for, forgot her phone charger at home. Okay. So first of all, 
I've tried to teach her this. Never take it out of your bag. Just always have a travel charger and have your Mm. home charger. Just always leave it in your bag and then you have it. That's neither here nor there. I'm going to have a conversation with her again about Mm -hmm. it later. But anyways, she said, well, how, how do I get one tonight? Uh, I said, well, try calling down to the desk. Maybe they like at a sundry station or something. Maybe they have it. She did. They didn't. And she's like, well, my phone's about to die and I need to charge it. The kids are already in bed. I don't want to have to get them up, get in the car and go. What can I do? Yeah. Do you know what I did? What? DoorDash. I was able to DoorDash. Oh, no, Everyone man. thinks that DoorDash is just DoorDash food. a charger? I DoorDashed a charger and a, a wall <laughs> plug-in from Walgreens. Oh, and I had, awesome. deliver, yeah, I, I had it delivered that. to Marissa's hotel room. Yeah. So the travel <laughs> hack, if you're out on the road, if you're in a hotel, you can't leave, you don't have a car, anything like yeah. that, Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub, whatever, it's not just mm-hmm. food anymore. You can actually get products delivered to it. And it was easy. It was super easy. Yeah. So for people listening, you know, when you travel, it's amazing the amount of stuff that you need to remember. Charger, passport, sunglasses, swim trunks. It's so, it's so much, right? And I would every time I got on the road on a trip, I'm like, oh man, I forgot my my contact lens case. So what I did was, and everyone should do this, I created a travel checklist. Just find an app a checklist app on your phone and I have my travel checklist. So right before I walk out the door, all right, belt, sunglasses, contact lens solution, toothbrush, mm-hmm. everything's there because without it, I guarantee you, I would forget one of those 20 or 30 things. Doug, next story, definitely good news, especially for Wilmington, Delaware, which is getting a lot of new air service. And you know, no one mentioned Wilmington, Delaware when we were talking about where you would locate uh, airport hub if you were starting a brand new airline. <laughs> this is really good. So Avello will grow its base at Wilmington with flights to 14 cities. Roots Online reports that startup Avello is adding a second Boeing 737 to its Wilmington base and launching nine more routes. Now this is Wilmington, Delaware, ILG. There's a Wilmington, North Carolina, which is ILM. I used to get those confused. The airport has had no airline service since Frontier pulled out its Orlando service last June. And check this out, Doug. This airport is only 25 miles south of Philadelphia. Marissa, I mean, Marissa used that airport when Frontier was flying there when we lived in Philly a couple of times mm-hmm. because it was just cheaper. So I drove her down to Wilmington. It's a little bit farther than Philly, but it, it was easy. And it was, yeah. it was really nice for her. And she used it a couple of times. Check this out. So only 75 miles from the D.C. and Baltimore area. Mm-hmm. So this airport could easily call itself a Washington area airport i mean if melbourne florida is <laughs> 90 uh, miles away and it's airport, 99 <laughs> miles away avello will add 35 more employees at the airport bringing its total employee base to over 100 so that's a significant number of employees that's good news the carrier also has bases in burbank in southern california tweed new haven airport hvn in connecticut orlando and raleigh durham avello's network comprises 43 u.s airports but it does not offer a connecting service unless you're an AvGeek because you could connect from Fort Myers to Myrtle Beach via ILG. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we should create a term. You know, they have the skip lag and the open jaw. We should have the AvGeek routing, which with these fares, it'd probably be cheaper if you're going from Fort Myers to uh, to Myrtle Beach to connect via ILG. <laughs> But anyway, it's not considered a connecting, they don't have a connecting service. Trevor Yeely, which is Avello's head of network planning, said that the five bases operate relatively independently. 
He said, everything's contained within the base. It's very simple. Airplanes come back to the base every night. So that could be Raleigh-Durham or Burbank or Wilmington. Maintenance technicians get to see the airplanes overnight. So they're seeing the same planes. So they know these airplanes very well. We've got our own maintenance in place. That's the way we think of it. Five unique airlines in, in that sense. Everything just operates independently. What a great concept. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of doing things. Because most airlines... Well, he didn't say it. He didn't say it, but the crews probably are able to sleep in their own home, right? Yeah. Because they probably come back with the plane. Yeah, that, that's like Allegiant and a couple... Of, uh, trying, no, not Spirit anymore. But Allegiant is also a home base where you, you don't actually lay over anywhere. You just do out and backs from wherever you're based. Doug, before we leave the Avello story, shout out to Travis Christ, who's a VP at Avello. He was on the show. Wish you luck um, operating out of ILG. All right, Doug, our last news story is more good news as United Airlines posted a net loss of $194 million in the first quarter. We'll discuss why this is good in a moment. A drop in business trips and a seasonal drop in leisure travelers are the main drivers of the loss. The airline forecasts strong demand for travel this spring and summer, despite predictions about the economy slowing down. All right, so Doug, these are the numbers, mm-hmm. and I'm going to read. I did, didn't get everything, but I have the main numbers. So United had a net loss of $194 million and an adjusted net loss of $207 million. Capacity was up 23.4% compared to the first quarter of 2022. That's a good news story. 23.4% more capacity. That's great. Total operating revenue, $11.4 billion, up 51.1% from the first quarter of 2022. That's a good news story. And then TRASM, which is total revenue per available seat mile, was up 22.5% compared to the first quarter of 2022. Do you want to explain TRASM real quick before we go to the next one? Yeah, TRASM is the total revenue per available seat mile, as you said. Total revenue is all revenues that the airline the airline gets. There's RASM, which is revenue per available seat mile. And that's only based on the actual operation. TRASM, airline credit cards, mm-hmm. cargo operations, maintenance, okay. like Delta has a, a huge maintenance operation that other airlines pay for Delta to do their maintenance. Lufthansa okay. Technique, same thing. A lot of airlines pay Lufthansa to do their maintenance. That all gets ro- roped into TRASM, which is total revenue. So that's all the revenue that the, air, the airline makes for anything per available seat mile. So per mile that each seat flies. So if you have a 100-seat airplane that flies 100 miles, you take 100 seats times 100 miles, that gives you your ASM, your available seat miles. And then yep. you can figure out your costs per available seat mile, your revenue. Th- these are metrics that you can very easily compare one airline's operation to another or even within that airline, you can compare back to previous quarters, previous years, however you want to look at the data. Yeah, that's interesting. So that's that's new for me. So TRASM, total revenue. So that could be them selling mile, um, lounge Miles membership. Or lounge membership or anything like that. That all goes into total revenue. So if I charged, if we towed a plane for Qatar mm-hmm. and we sent them a sales and service form, yeah. that would also be part of the total revenue. It's not for someone's seat, but it's the total revenue Correct. that we make at the airline. Correct. All right. Then we have chasm, which is cost per available seat mile. So that was up 4%, which is not that much uh, compared to the first quarter of 2022. Anything else on that? Y- on? Yeah. Chasm, there, there's two ways to look at chasm. You've got the cost per available seat mile and then chasm X, 
which is excluding fuel costs. So, so Chasm X, fuel costs go up and down like crazy. In 2008, when fuel prices were shooting through the roof, if you look at Chasm and you're like, oh, Chasm is up 20% over the same quarter last year, that looks terrible. But you're like, oh, what's our operation doing? So to smooth out the data, they use what's called Chasm X, which is excluding mm. fuel costs and, and things like that, to yeah. be able to look and see how are, our, aside from fuel, how are our overall costs for running the operation looking compared to the year prior or and any because we can't really control the cost of no exactly things that we can control yeah so chasm x was actually down compared to the first quarter in 2022 which means that the airlines costs of running the operation are going down which is a good thing now the question comes up you said that hey they had a net loss of 194 million why is that a good thing you look at all this data this is what Delta reported. I'm sure this mm-hmm. is what American is going to report. Alaska had basically the same thing, some some small losses, but all all signs were pointing to really good things coming. And all the CEOs have talked about how this summer is going to be off the charts. And now analysts are expecting it's going to be the highest revenue that airlines have ever had. Mm-hmm. Quarters are just a snapshot in time. It really doesn't right. mean much of anything. It's just a a three-month period that we're going to release our data. What really matters is the entire year. If an airline loses money over an entire year, think think of it like your personal budget, Drew. You might have a month where your car breaks down and you have to buy a new one or spend a lot of money for it. Or maybe you're getting a new dining room set because you've had the old one for a lot of years. You have more cash outflow in that particular yeah. month than inflow. But Throughout the year, you're going to make that up in other months oh, and, yeah. and other ways. So you can't really look at it like uh, well, j- give- j- just the quarter snapshot as a bad thing. But then what United also did was they already took, because they, they know or they're hoping that they're going to come to agreement with several work groups in, in the coming months, the pilots, the mechanics, mm-hmm. things like that. They already took the loss on the expected increase in contracts and costs. So they took the loss in this quarter in order mm. to just account for that for when it happens in future quarters. So if if okay. they agree to a new deal with the mechanics this quarter, they've already taken mm-hmm. a loss on that. So yeah. this quarter, they, they then don't have to account for that loss. And it, it looks like it's better because they've already taken that loss. Working in the airline world for like 30 years almost, airlines always expect to lose money in the first quarter because that's when people, you know, it's cold, People are not traveling. Christmas is over, so the you know the holiday rush is over. So we expect that. And for an airline to have a small loss like this, that is a good thing because you know you're going to make a boatload of money in the second in the and third quarter. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like United will do well after a bit of financial turbulence at the beginning of the year. And speaking of turbulence, which you love, Drew, get ready for more. As they're saying, the climate change may increase the chances of a bouncy flight. NPR and Insider both reported this month that researchers say there's evidence that what we call clear air turbulence is becoming more frequent. Paul Williams, who's a professor of atmospheric science at the University of Reading in England, agrees. The reason for this increase in clear air turbulence is climate change, Williams says. As global temperatures increase due to rising levels of greenhouse emissions, such as carbon dioxide, the jet stream is experiencing more wind shear. Wind shear, which we define as a sudden change in wind speed and direction, is what causes clear turbulence. This occurs in the absence of clouds or bad weather, and it happens at altitudes. This says above 15,000 feet. I've had clear air turbulence below that, 
It, it mm. really, it really just depends on what the terrain is below you. Yeah. But cl- yeah, cl- clear air turbulence. When, when you fly through a cloud, it's almost always turbulent. If okay. we're, if we're yeah, out there flying and we see clouds in front, most of the time we'll sit the passengers and possibly even the flight attendants knowing that we're going to have to go through the clouds and it's just going to be turbulent. Clear yeah. air turbulence is where you're not in the clouds. It's bright and sunny, or if it's night, like you can see the stars and, and the moon, and all of a sudden you just hit this really bad turbulence. That's clear mm-hmm. air turbulence. So Williams also said that since satellites began observing since 1979, the amount of wind shear has grown by 15% in the jet stream, referring to a study he co-authored in 2019. In a follow-up study using climate model simulations, Williams and colleagues predicted that clear air turbulence in the middle latitudes of the northern hemisphere could triple in the next three to six decades, depending on future greenhouse gas emissions. A separate 2020 study, and this is important because you don't want all your information to come from one source. So this is a separate study on the other side of the world. So this is from a China, China-based scientist, points to increased temperatures in the upper atmosphere contributing to a profound impact on the wind shear and turbulence in mid-latitude. So they found the same thing. Another researcher at the University of Reading, Isabel Smith, said the increase in greenhouse gases traps heat in the troposphere. So we talk about the troposphere, which is up to 11 miles up, and that's where our aircraft fly. This is the layer of atmosphere closest to the surface. But this heat should have been released into the stratosphere, which is the next layer up. As a result, globally, the troposphere warms while the stratosphere cools at a rapid rate. So she's saying that these this hot air should have been released into the troposphere and left. But because of the greenhouse gases, it's being trapped in between the troposphere and the stratosphere. This increases the temperature change or the gradient between the two layers. This strengthens the jet stream, which in turn creates a more unstable wind flow and increases clear air turbulence, according to Smith. That, that seems to make sense. Mm-hmm. So you have this air, which isn't escaping, and you know a change in temperature usually come, goes along with turbulence. Yeah. Well, and, and the jet stream is, is basically just, it's a, I know we've talked about a, a big river of air and, and part of what drives that is pressure gradients because high pressure is trying to move to low pressure and you get that with heat as well. Like right. when you're driving it, cause it's areas of, of fluid and you get mm-hmm. it with heat trying to move from one area to another. So if it's trapped, you can see how it's, the pressure is going to be different. So it's going to increase the strength of that jet stream then i know we're getting really nerdy and technical (laughs) here but i i I love talking about weather type phenomenon especially as a as a pilot one way to limit the clear turbulence would be to avoid the four main jet streams that encircle the earth commercial aircraft often take advantage of these narrow bands of strong winds in the upper levels of the atmosphere to increase their speed and shorten flight times william says quote that's the trade-off the airline saves fuel and passengers arrive early, but it might be a bumpy flight, unquote. Avoiding the jet stream would likely mean an increase in greenhouse emissions, he notes, because longer flights burn more fuel. Each year, pilots report an average of 5,500 encounters with severe or greater turbulence. That number has increased in recent years thanks to climate change. Okay, Drew, I know that you, <laughs> This is your life. I know that this you- This is your life. It is. I, I, know that you, <laughs> I know that you love turbulence, but turbulence- more turbulence also means less service because the mm. flight attendants oh, right have now. to be down. So 
it's a trade off. Yeah, my dinner more than turbulence. Yeah, it, or, or an extra drink or something. And I, I made a joke mm-hmm. with you last night. I, I think I messaged. I said, "This is where you need to get an extra drink or two in the lounge because the flight attendant's not going to be able to get up and serve you uh, during the yeah, flight." Yeah. Okay. So you should <laughs> check the turbulence so you can pre-plan. So I, I have a question. So you want to ride that jet stream on the way home, right? You want to ride it, or you know, wherever you're going, you want to go in that direction so mm-hmm. you get that tailwind, but. If it's very bumpy, is it better to not use that tailwind to to find smoother air, even though you're not taking advantage yeah. of the tailwind to get you yeah. there faster? Like- be- being in the jet stream doesn't a- always automatically mean that it's going to be more turbulent. A lot of times, the worst turbulence comes when you cross a jet stream, when you pass mm. through it. So if you're going north-south, the, the jet streams generally move east-west, uh, or sorry, west-west to east in, in the high northern latitudes, then they move east to west in the lower latitudes above the equator. And then it's it's basically the opposite direction. So you have two jet streams that go west to east on the globe, and then you have two that go the opposite direction. And you, you can look at, at models that show you this. Mm-hmm. Crossing the jet stream when you're flying north-south, that's where you're not actually riding the jet stream, you, you just poke right. through it and then get out on the other side. That's where some of the worst <laughs> turbulence is. Being in the jet stream, sometimes it's turbulent, but not always. Yeah, it's like trying to walk across a river. Exactly. Or a stream. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like trying to walk across as opposed to walk with it or move with it. Right. So now when you're going against the jet stream, you just want to completely avoid it. Correct. Right. I mean, you don't. Yeah. So, which and and we've talked about this how like flight times, especially in the northern hemisphere, going to Europe, flight times are roughly two hours less than what it would be coming back from Europe. You mm-hmm. ride the jet stream on the way over, and you try to avoid it on the way home, but you're still going to have some headwinds because the, the winds generally move around the the northern latitudes in a, a west to east direction and they just spin the globe like that i I wish the listeners could see me right now i'm moving my hands and arms like crazy all over the place no that's great okay so you mentioned something about pre-planning and making sure you have your uh, cocktails at the club or a meal at the club before you board if there's gonna be a lot of turbulence there might not be a lot of service in general bring on the turbulence it it makes a longer it makes a long flight more interesting for me anyway for anyone who likes a bouncy ride, you can check the turbulence forecast, or if you want to know whether you should eat and drink before you get on the mm-hmm. flight, go to this website we found. It's called turbly.com, T-U-R-B-L-I.com. And no, they're not a sponsor. But <laughs> So I just pulled up uh, a flight on our airline. This is from, uh, this is yesterday. Before you go on a flight, you know, just check it. This was uh, a 787 from San Francisco to London. There's an image of it. It shows you where the turbulence will be, and it it tells you where the moderate turbulence will be. So two hours into it, mm-hmm. they might have some turbulence, and then at the end, they have some turbulence coming into. Uh, oh, this is from San Francisco to Dulles. I'm yeah. sorry, which so makes from sense. San Francisco to DC. To me, just looking at this, it makes sense. Right around two hours is when you you cross over the front range of the Rockies when you're mm-hmm. going from San Fran to DC, and it's almost always bumpy at all altitudes over the Rockies. That that's just a that's a given. We, we all always know once you hit the Rockies, especially basically over the entire state of Colorado, it's just going to be bumpy. Yeah, you could also check a weather map and you can see exactly where the seatbelt sign is going to go on. Mm-hmm. But anyway, good story. Yeah. Are you seeing you've been flying for uh, just over 10 years? I know that's not a long time, but are you are you, is there any 
noticeable change in turbulence around the world? You know, that's a good question. It's it's a little bit different because my first like five years, I was flying mainly the Atlantic and the Atlantic has never really been historically bumpy. And mm. so it's, it's hard to really tell if there's a, a change. I've been flying the Pacific a lot recently. The Pacific has been really bad, but my understanding and, and what I remember the few times I flew the Pacific in the Air Force it was pretty bad. Has it gotten worse? Hard to tell. It, it really is. And, and like you said, I haven't really been flying for that long in the grand scheme of things. But it, it would be interesting in like 15 years to, to look back and, and see if it really has increased just from my experiences. All right. Well, speaking of uh, turbulence, a lot of our customers will have that today because there's going to be thunderstorms in Washington and I got to go and I gotta leave soon and uh, prep for that because we'll probably have a lot of inbound diversions going to other cities. And then once that storm rolls past DC, gets where it's going, it's going to New York. So my work isn't over because we gotta LaGuardia, <laughs> yeah. New York, Kennedy. I'll send you some pictures tonight. There's gonna be all sh- hopefully not, but when it's really bad, there's all shapes, sizes, and colors of airlines out on the remote pad <laughs> because they couldn't <laughs> get up to New York. So. It'll be some eye candy, but uh, it'll be a lot of work, too. All right. To our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nextripnetwork.com, and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation travel. And also, I'm going to add, leave us a review. Um, if you like our podcast, if you have any feedback for us, if you use Apple, I know they have a good way to uh, send a review. So we love seeing that. And you can tell us if we're on the right track. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. All right. I think at that point, that, that's enough. Anything else from your week? Well, what, what did you say you were going to change it to, though? Not an <laughs> aviation-related disaster. Oh, I was going to say it's between it's between the and what it... <laughs> no, I thought, you, I, I thought you said Gilgan's Island. <laughs> <laughs> still really bad <laughs> yeah they're both bad <laughs> oh man we, anyway, we, sh- right, we shouldn't be laughing at that I, I feel bad no we really shouldn't yeah yeah no um but we can't i mean it's not too soon right <laughs> we're gonna get in trouble either way i, I think we just move on. <laughs> i'll make sure i have some ready to go